book of Isaiah uh, is uh, our survey for the week. And uh, it's interesting, uh, as I was getting some notes ready for this, um, some people refer to the book of Isaiah as the miniature Bible, if you will. There are a lot of interesting similarities. Um, uh, there are 66 chapters. I know that the chapter numbers were not inspired. They didn't come about till years later. But it is interesting that, that it has 66 chapters. And even more interesting than that is they can be naturally divided uh, into 39, the first 39 chapters dealing more with the law in Israel's disobedience and God's judgment upon them. And the last 27 chapters dealing with God's grace and forgiveness. And uh, it's interesting how it just so seamlessly parallels uh, our own scriptures as a whole. Um, the, the subject matter deals primarily uh, with the idea that, uh, that, uh, that uh, God is the king. Uh, he's in control of things. <coughs> Excuse me. And that the salvation that... Uh, Israel seeks, because of a lot of the uh, judgment that was on them, that the salvation was to come from no other place than from the Lord. They had turned to idols and uh, were depending on them. And Isaiah focuses on the might and the power uh, of God and His ability to, uh, to deliver. And he even does it by contrasting uh, the power of God and the weakness and the frailty of idols. And so kind of the main subject matter throughout the book is um, Isaiah uh, telling the, the nation of Israel. And let me, let me say that I'm using the term nation of Israel generically here because he's, he's serving during the time of the divided kingdom. And he prophesies uh, both to Israel and to Judah, uh, the northern and the southern kingdoms. But his ministry was primarily, he had about 40 years of ministering. His ministry was primarily to Judah. Uh, and even though he did oftentimes uh, prophesying and deal with things even in Israel, uh, the focus that he has for the most part is in Judah. And I think in a large part because he, he resided there and was more focused in as far as geographically uh, in his ministry there in Judah. Uh, he serves about 40 years under four different kings. And uh, so he's uh, got some longevity there, some, some proven... Uh, time periods uh, there, um, and he outlasted a lot of the the kings, largely because the kings were wicked and they were not following after God. They were leading the nation to idolatry, and uh, and certainly we understand from Scripture that uh, God judges those that that don't trust in Him, and then uh, He blesses the lives of those that do put their trust in Him. And um, the author is is. Pretty, pretty easily uh, agreed on that it was Isaiah uh, exclusively, that there was not a lot of other uh, contributors or factors in the writing of the book of Isaiah. Uh, pretty well everybody's in agreement. Uh, there are some, some evidences of that in that uh, Isaiah is obviously a very, very well-educated fellow. Uh, he's of Jewish descent, of course, and, and just extremely well-educated. Uh, the vocabulary that's used throughout the book is, is extensive. Uh, so he, a lot of people even refer to Isaiah as the Paul of the Old Testament. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between the life of Isaiah and the life of Paul as far as their background of, uh, of education, uh, their knowledge of the law, um, 
and uh, very often uh, is uh, some people, uh, quite a few people actually refer to Isaiah as the Paul of the Old Testament. <clears throat> he had uh, close contact with uh, the folks in the uh, kingdom, the royal court, and uh, even had the ear of the king. Uh, over the 40 years, he served under four of them and prophesied with each of them uh, regarding the coming judgment of God if they did not turn from their idolatrous ways, warning them uh, often of the danger of um, associating with the nations around them. Uh, remember this, that in the Old Testament, God had commanded Israel as a nation not to involve themselves with the nations around them. They were to stay pure from them. They weren't to give their daughters and sons. They weren't to fellowship and intermingle. And God knew that if they did this, that it wouldn't be very long before um, there would be immorality and, uh, and then shortly after idolatry. In some cases, uh, the two were so closely intertwined between immorality and idolatry. Uh, and it's interesting to me, just looking at scriptures, I've studied it in the Old Testament, how often those two subjects are so intertwined. We look at the day that we live in today even. And the idea that uh, idolatry is rampant in our world and immorality is rampant in our world. And the two seem to always go hand in hand when people's hearts depart from the Lord. It's not long before both of those things begin to happen um, openly and without, uh, without conviction, without any kind of remorse. Uh, for the wickedness that was going on. Uh, and we see that even in the day we live today, don't we? Uh, that men can do it without conscience. They can be idolatrous. They can be immoral. And nobody, in fact, uh, if you're contrary to that, uh, they, the world considers you to be deviant. Uh, if you don't agree with the immorality and the loose, loose living, and the, uh, if you don't agree with the idolatry and the idea of not, not believing in God, they can... They become very critical of those who hold uh, against those things. And uh, so these two things uh, certainly characterize both Israel and Judah. Israel more so than Judah. But Judah begins to follow after uh, what Israel's doing. And this, this is a large part of what Isaiah deals with. Uh, his character in Scripture, if you read his, his, uh, his book carefully, you'll see somewhat of the personality of Isaiah coming through the book. Uh, you'll see some of the things that characterize him. Uh, he was uncompromising, there was no doubt. He was not afraid. He had great courage to stand before even the kings and say, Thus saith the Lord. Here's what God has said. He is uncompromising in the message that God has given to him. <clears throat> he's extremely sincere in what he does. He's not frivolous. He's not one of these guys that uh, is out here and uh, just occasionally says, I'm going to uh, take a stand for the Lord. His life is... It revolves around uh, living right, doing right, and teaching people the ways of God. And so he's very sincere in his life. He's not uh, one of these fellows that uh, is just outwardly trying to portray something that he's not. But there's something else that comes through in Isaiah's writings. And in spite of his, um, uh, or in, in, in uh, I, I would say, in, in coordination with uh, his boldness, his unwavering, his unwillingness to compromise, there is a level of compassion in his message. And even when he speaks of the impending judgment of God on the nation of Israel, he always brings the message that God is willing, if Israel will re repent and they will turn from their sin, God is always willing to forgive. He always brings the level of compassion into the message. 
And it's a wonderful thing to see throughout the book of Isaiah. I think probably studying the way that Isaiah brings these messages to the nation of Israel is one of the best examples of Scripture that we can pattern our service for the Lord in. Uh, and if you uh, will take the time to read through Isaiah and uh, not just looking at the content of it, but as much as the character of the man that's giving the message, um, I think it'll do a lot for you. Uh, it certainly would be uh, someone that we could emulate, someone that we could uh, pattern our, our life, our service, our messages after, and uh, having that great uh, compassion. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, his life was ended, uh, basically, we don't have a, his, a biblical record of it, but uh, Jewish uh, tradition in, in the Talmud, there's some indication that uh, the end of his life uh, was through some people that had been persecuting him for his stand, and uh, that he was sawn in half, and that was how he, he would die a martyr's death. Now, again, there's not uh, scriptural proof of that, and that is a... Uh, tradition that is held by many of the Jewish people. So I wouldn't say that that is dogmatically true, but that is uh, a pretty well agreed upon thing in Jewish circles that he died the martyr's death for his stand for the Lord, uh, which makes his ministry uh, of steadfastness, uh, sincerity, and compassion, it makes that ministry all the more um, amazing uh, to see that even to the point of death he was not willing to uh, bow the knee. He was not willing to turn to the idols. He was not willing to to uh, change the message that God had given to him. <coughs> uh, Ecclesiastes and uh, also uh, other places, uh, the Septuagint, the Talmud, uh, all give indication that uh, Isaiah is the author, and they back that that claim up. In the New Testament, uh, John and Paul quote Isaiah rather extensively. And they give credit to him as the author. Uh, oftentimes in quoting him, they'll say, they'll say, you know, Isaiah the prophet said this, or, uh, you know, this is from Isaiah the prophet. And so they give recognition to him. So we have both Old Testament and external evidences that Isaiah uh, is the author. We also have uh, New Testament, the Bible itself, that refers and references the fact that uh, Isaiah is the author. Uh, Isaiah's ministry began at the reign of King Uzziah, um, and uh, the, the beginning of his reign is when he started. He served also under Jotham, uh, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So those are the four kings that he served under. Uh, he is um, contemporary with the books of Hosea and Micah. So they all lived at the same period of time. They all are dealing with many of the same issues. And so oftentimes when you're reading through your Bible, if you want to know how uh, other books tie in, uh, you can understand that Hosea and Micah are both uh, contemporaries of his. They're serving at the same time. They knew each other uh, and knew of the prophecies that each of them had been given by God. And so, again, it helps sometimes to know these things when you're doing a, a survey of the Old Testament um, because when you're reading, it may help uh, to read those other books at the same time. Uh, to read uh, Micah and Hosea and Isaiah all together, uh, realizing they're all dealing with pretty much the same time period of Israel and the things that they're going through. <clears throat> uh, Assyria is the world kingdom at the time. They're the world power. They are the ones that God has used to bring judgment to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and they have pretty well overrun Israel by the time 
you're about halfway through the book of Isaiah, uh, they had pretty much conquered all of Israel. Uh, they, they had already been um, exerting their influence even from the very beginning of the book, but they uh, gained full uh, victory over Israel um, pretty early on in the, uh, the book of Isaiah. And uh, they also began to threaten Judah. Now, this is important um, because Isaiah is, you know, people often say, well, uh, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? People who are not saved, they're not Christians. I know it to be the Word of God because it has made such a change in my life personally. I take it by faith. I don't need external proofs. But it's interesting when there are proofs of Scripture, isn't there? Uh, how it strengthens our faith in it to understand this. One of the great proofs of Scripture, and that this is not just a book that was written by man, but the, the Word of God itself, is the number of uh, prophecies that are not general. They are very, very specific, aren't they? Uh, very specific. And they are made hundreds of years, not just a week or two in advance. I mean, we can look at news things and come up with some predictions that will probably come true if we're only predicting a week or so out based on the news that we hear. But we're talking about things that were not even in existence. And one of those is, as Isaiah goes through uh, his preaching to uh, Judah uh, regarding their sin and their following of Israel's uh, idolatrous ways, is he, he tells them, he prophesies to them that God has indicated that not the Assyrians, but the Babylonians are going to be the ones that are used to bring judgment to Judah. And understand this, that at the time that he made that prophecy, Babylon was not even a world power at the time. And there historically was a lot of ridicule at Isaiah for making that claim. Uh, and they, they scoffed at him, they didn't listen to him, they didn't put much merit in what he said because it was so ridiculous. It was like, the Assyrians are the world power. Why would the Babylonians be the ones that are going to conquer Judah? And yet, God's word was true, wasn't it? And we find that, sure enough, uh, the Assyrians did not overthrow Judah. It was the Babylonians. And uh, so we, we find some tremendous uh, prophecies that are given and answered. There are more prophecies of Christ specifically in the book of Isaiah, more specific and more vivid um, and more of uh, prophecies of Christ coming as the Savior uh, in the book of Isaiah than all the rest of the Old Testament combined. And uh, there are over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament alone of the coming Christ. And most of those, and many of those, are found in the book of Isaiah uh, which is a wonderful thing. And every single one of them come true. We're going to look at several of those here in just a little while. Um, it's interesting that as he preaches his message, uh, the nation of Israel does not take heed to what God is saying. God says, listen, if you'll obey, if you'll repent, you'll come back to me. I will bring my hand of blessing on you again. But if you continue to follow after idolatry, I am going to bring judgment. And knowing the message of God, the people and the king, the leaders of the nation, willingly choose to continue on into idolatry and rejection of God. And uh, we find that there is a, a self-will 
that comes into play. I was giving some thought to this this morning, uh, just in, as I was reading through the notes and kind of being ready for the, 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 the Sunday school hour. And a thought struck me that I don't know that I had ever put into these words before, but if we think about it, every single time that there is disobedience, it is a selfish choice. Think of it in just terms of, of a child and a, and a parent, if you will. Just Let's put it in, in human terms for a moment. If a parent says, um, uh, Jonathan, I'll use Jonathan because he's my son. Jonathan, I want you to take the trash out. If he says yes, sir, and jumps up and takes the trash out, he's saying, I want to please Dad, and I want to honor him, and I want to be obedient to him, and my obedience is the showing of my love for Him. But if He says, I don't want to, after He picked Himself up off the floor, and we had the funeral for Him that next Tuesday, <laughs> wouldn't be quite that bad. But if He got up and said, Dad, I'll do it in a little while, or okay, and then I come back an hour or two later, and that trash is still sitting there, there was a selfishness in His decision, wasn't there? In fact, there was a, an emphasis of his own love for himself being more than his love for his father. Now, let's put that in, in Christian terms, in spiritual terms. The Bible teaches very clearly that people will know that we love Christ if we do what? If we keep His commandments. They'll know that, right? When we disobey the commandments of God, what we are in essence saying without saying it verbally is I love me more than I love Him. And this is what the nation of Israel was dealing with. Self-love, self-will. I don't know if we realize that or not enough or as much as we should. That our disobedience to God is not just something that, eh, I'll obey Him in other things, but maybe not this one. Every single time we disobey, every time, we are saying, I love myself more than I love Him. I want what I want more than I want to do what He wants. It helps us to think of our disobedience in that way. I know those are sometimes harsh ways for us to be on you. Somebody say, well, you're being too hard on yourself. But that is the truth of it. It is a very selfish decision when we disobey. And uh, Israel is doing this. And, and I know we can be critical of them and say, boy, I just can't believe after God even sent a prophet to tell them, hey, if you'll return to me, I'll, I'll forgive you and I'll bring blessings back into your life. And they still chose to do what they did. After God had already said, if you do this and continue to do this, I'm going to bring judgment, and they still continue to do it. You, you shake your head and you wonder, what were these people thinking? But then we have to look inwardly, because how often in our own lives we do this. And we don't think those thoughts about our own disobedience. We like to think it about others, but we don't think it about our own. We've got to be so careful of this, that when we come to Scripture, when we come to the things that God has commanded for us to do in our lives... There is, a, there is a resigning of our own will. There is a, a love expressed from the heart. And the Bible speaks very clearly of the fact that there, 
Uh, it talks about the out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It talks about uh, trees that uh, bear uh, uh, good fruit and evil fruit. And uh, an evil tree cannot bear good fruit, at least not, not any length of time. And a good tree cannot bear evil fruit. And uh, speaking that the heart is the key. The heart is the key. How is our heart? Our obedience to God is not because of obligation. Or it should not be. It ought to be because we love Him. We want to please Him. And that's a key to, to our obedience. And by the way, when you, when you obey out of love, it is not a burden. It just isn't. When you obey out of obligation, there can be times of frustration and resentment that you have to do this. And I think some of the reason why we don't see joy in more Christians is because we have a lot of Christians that are obeying because of obligation rather than out of love. And I want to just bring that point out to you. Um, The Christ of Isaiah, as we take a look at how Christ is pictured, (coughs) Christ is mentioned in Isaiah and pictured more as the coming Savior. Now, there are other pictures of Christ. There are other pictures of the fact that He will be the Messiah. Many times in the Old Testament, it does make reference to the end times event as a whole and uh, just kind of doesn't make a big distinction between His role as Savior and His role as the reigning coming Messiah at the second coming. Uh, Isaiah is very, very specific. And a lot of his prophecies deal with Christ as the coming Savior, the suffering servant who's going to come and die on the cross and be the redeemer of man's, uh, man, uh, mankind and the uh, one that is the atonement and the payment for man's sin. Uh, we see quite a few of these uh, references throughout Isaiah. I'm going to give you a few of them. We're going to take a look at them. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's start with uh, Isaiah chapter number 52. Isaiah chapter number 52. Now, there are numbers in the notes, and I'll make these available to you after class. Uh, I've, got, I've got references all the way back from chapter 7 uh, up through 53, and, and I didn't even put all of them that there are. I just put ones I could think of or ones that I found uh, that other folks had thought of and uh, their fulfillments uh, where they were fulfilled in the New Testament. So I have a side-by-side chart on the notes that you can utilize to see where the prophecy was made in Isaiah and where it was fulfilled in the New Testament. And I hope that will be a a tool for you uh, to kind of perk your interest. And then I hope that it will drive us to search more of them out because there are vastly more uh, that can be found throughout not only Isaiah but in the Old Testament uh, of these these, uh, prophecies being fulfilled. The preciseness with which these prophecies are given and the exact fulfillment, not just generally fulfilled, but exact fulfillment of them. The chances of even one of them coming true uh, are astronomical. The chances of all of them coming true are impossible, short of the supernatural work of an Almighty God. And this is another reason why it gives us uh, strength, undergirding support to our faith that this is not just a book, but the book of God, the Word that God has for us. Uh, Let's look in Isaiah chapter 52, verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse number 14. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred 
more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And again, speaking here, not of the reigning King Messiah in the second coming in the millennial reign, which is what Israel's looking for. But he's specifically speaking here of Christ's coming as the suffering servant, the redeemer of man, the Savior that is going to suffer. Uh, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy, and this is something that Isaiah is speaking uh, hundreds of years before Christ. And uh, the, uh, the, re, the fulfillment of this uh, is found in, uh, let's go to uh, Philippians chapter number 2 for a minute. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, and I wrote the wrong book. I've got the right references, but I wrote the wrong book. Let me see if i got the right thing here. Uh, I'll have to fix that in the notes. Okay, no, I think I've got it. Okay, let's go to verse number 7. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. I think I, I may have it here. All right. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This indicating that the Lord Jesus Christ came and made Himself in the form of a man and yielded Himself to the death of the cross. Uh, again, just a fulfillment here of the prediction or the, the prophecy that Isaiah gave uh, regarding Christ being crucified uh, for the sons of men. Uh, let's look in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 3. Isaiah 53 and verse number 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Uh, now let's look in uh, Luke chapter number 23. And the picture here is that Christ has been uh, beaten. Uh, he's been presented to the crowd. And the option is given to the folks whether they want to release Christ, who Pilate had said, I find no fault in him, or Barabbas, who was a known and convicted uh, 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 man that had committed crimes. And look in verse number 18. When given the choice, the Bible says this, And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. Uh, he was despised. The people hated him. The rulers hated him. Uh, and uh, as a result, was crucified for that. Let's look in verse number uh, Isaiah 53, verse number 4. Isaiah 53, verse number 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, go to Romans chapter number 5 for a moment. 
Romans chapter number 5. And let's look in verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It helps understand a little better Isaiah 53, 5. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Uh, Christ didn't die for His sins. He died for ours. And not only was it prophesied hundreds of years before He came, but it was fulfilled in Him. Uh, Let's look in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 7. And again, how would Isaiah know these things, this specifically, had it not been for God Himself giving him the inspired word that He wanted him to pen? Verse number 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Well, what a statement. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Look in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And let's look in verse number 12. (coughs) And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered what? Nothing. He answered nothing. How in the world would Isaiah know 700 years before Christ? That when he stands in judgment, he's not going to open his mouth. He's going to be silent. 700 years before. I mean, we're not talking about Isaiah being there a day or two before. Other than the fact that God gave him direct revelation. Supernatural Word of God given to Isaiah that he spoke very clearly, very plainly. Uh, There are over 300 of these prophecies found through the Old Testament. And you can find every one of their fulfillments in the New Testament that are pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of man. There are some prophecies yet to be fulfilled, given in the Old Testament, of Him coming as the Messiah and the reigning King. And it causes us to have even more faith and trust in the the accuracy of those prophecies because we have had a 100% without error proven track record of all these other prophecies being answered. Not that we need that. We take it by faith that these are going to be there. But isn't it wonderful that there is support there for it? And uh, so a wonderful, wonderful thing. The central passage is Isaiah chapter 52. And uh, if you'll give me the time to do it, I'm I'm just, this will be, I will end here. And uh, I want to read uh, almost an entirety of, of a chapter's worth of verses. We're going to be partly into chapter 52 and partly into chapter 53 because it's such a wonderful passage and uh, I want you to hear it, and I won't make a whole lot, I don't, I don't think I'll make any comment, but if I do, I may make just a, a brief comment or two on it. But let's start in verse number uh, 13 of chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. 
As many were astonished at the his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Behold, he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, what an amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made, his, he made his grave with the rich, buried in the tomb of uh, the man from Arimathea, the rich man's tomb that wasn't even his. He was the one who became the intercessor for our transgressions. I was thinking of this earlier. I, I had read something this week and just kind of was meditating, thinking on it. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, for the very first time, He was able to take a holy God and a sinful man and bring them into a place of communion. A God who could not tolerate sin. A man who could not achieve holiness. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to reach between both of them and bring them to a point of reconciliation. Our salvation is so much more than just escaping the punishment of hell. It's having a wonderful opportunity to fellowship with God Himself. Oh, what a joy to be saved. And boy, I love the things that Isaiah speaks of Him. The key chapter of Isaiah, I think, would have to be Isaiah 53. If there was any chapter out of it that I would encourage folks to uh, to read, to know about. 
I have not gotten through all the notes, but I'll make those available for you. You can study a little bit further on your own. Um, but oh, what a what a Savior that we have! And uh, Isaiah is very, uh, very faithful to write the words that were given to him by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and uh, to bring them not only to the nation of Israel, but we get the ability here. 27, 2800 years later to hold them in our hands and read those same words and understand the truth of God's um, working, not only with the nation of Israel, but with men in general. And uh, what a joy it is to know those things. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You would help it to guide us and to direct us. May we learn things through it that help us to live the way we should, to help us to become more of what we should for You. Lord, above all, may we have our hearts drawn to love You more. And, Father, that that love would be our motivation 